think that um, you know maybe they should have some form of training, but it's more so I think that the you know the the fear. Like I mean, if it was a robbery going on, you know, uh, bank robbery where they're you know got to protect corporate interests or you know something like that, it would be a different story. Like they probably would you know would have ran on down and you know tried to take control of the situation a lot sooner than what they did. Like forty five minutes, bro. Let me play this. This is Washington Post. They came under fire, and that tactical unit eventually made its way in and confronted the shooter. He announced at 1.06 p.m. that the shooting was over and that they had the suspect in custody. But the details of what happened in the 90 minutes are still unclear. Hey, y'all can't be like that, man. Y'all can't be like that when there's people. Yes, I do. Get across the street. The video live streamed to Facebook on Tuesday suggests that the gunman at Rob Elementary School was inside for at least an hour before he was killed by authorities. They're all in there. The cops ain't doing but standing outside. The shooter entered the school armed with a gun at approximately 11.30 a.m. The video live stream begins at 11.54 a.m. It shows frustrated and scared parents shouting at police, trying to enter the building themselves. Six-year-old kids in there, they don't know how to defend themselves from a shooter. Authorities have said that police officers tried to enter the building, but came under fire, and that a tactical unit eventually made its way in and confronted the shooter. They announced at 1.06 p.m. that the shooting was over and that they had the suspect in custody. But the details of what happened in the 90 minutes are still unclear. Hey, I can't be like that. Well, they, they, are, they are in the middle of nowhere. Like y'all said, though, they are in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, but, but, but they are in the middle of nowhere, but... Doesn't that law enforcement doesn't that uh, law enforcement agency have a tactical unit, or did they have to call their tactical unit from another town that was away? That's what I we don't, don't think know. That, I don't think he was like a like technically a tactical unit. I think he was just a unit that was willing to go in and tackle whoever hell was in there. Dude, because the guy who shot and killed them was a border patrol agency, from what the news report said. It was a border patrol agency. He is he's law enforcement, but he's not a, a fucking cop. He's not and a Valdi sheriff. He's yeah, I was about to say his jurisdiction. Agent, he probably had no real jurisdiction over there. So you mean to tell me a border patrol agent goes in and do the do the job of these trained officers that 40% of this town's budget goes into these uh, goes into this law enforcement agency? Maybe it has to do with the budget with the ice. They had they spent so much money on that ice shit. I don't know, bro. This is I don't know and and then with this story I I don't even know how true this is. Like I feel like this could possibly be getting screwed as far as Man, just because shit, of the perspective of the parents if you're the parents of course they're not moving fast enough no matter how fast they if you was a parent to one of those kids in that school no matter how they dealt with this situation it wouldn't have been good enough especially if one of your kids died right uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah i mean i i i would have to agree agree with you 100 percent so what no, I'm saying no. is, I think that it's possible, it's possible that these stories are from the perspective of the parents, but and, and true to them, but not necessarily true to what happened. 
So that's what I'm saying. I'm skeptical of this one. Let me read this. It's, this is Washington Post. It says, a hold on. A video recorded outside Robb Elementary School on Tuesday reveals new details about the timeline of the Uvalde shooting and shows parents who shouted the police response was inadequate and sluggish and tried to enter the building themselves. The video begins at 11.54 a.m. local time after the shooter had entered the school. That timing suggests that the gunman was inside the building for at least one hour before police announced at 1.06 p.m. that the shooting was over. They had stopped Ramos, who was shot and killed. Let me see. It says, visual forensics video reporter Joyce Lee explains more. Um, let me read. This is a comment underneath the post. It says, there goes the good guy with a gun theory. Sounds like these good guys with their guns was too scared to do their job. But sure, let's arm teachers. Uh, another comment, it says, plenty of good guys with a gun couldn't stop the bad guy with a gun. What does that teach us? These, those, these could be bots. This is terrible. They did nothing to help. I cannot even fathom the anguish of being so close and so helpless. There is an ample room in the inaction of ultimate failure of the police force to sue the force for negligence causing harm. So much for protect and serve. I just can't, America, you're falling, failing your children. And Abbott sat there and lied, com commending law enforcement on their swift action. The police did nothing for nearly 90 minutes. They all need to be held accountable. And while I'm at it, vote them out. Get them all fired. I'm sure those parents would have taken care of him. This doesn't sit right with me. What in the hell? Wow, are you serious? They're tough when there are no guns involved and treat the people wrong. But when it comes down to real deal, why don't they stop knowing their area kids? There are kids inside. And a lot of these comments are very emotional. And, it, and, it, and like I say, some of this, I think, are bots. The ones at the top sounded like bots. And um, the uh, what was I gonna say? Uh, the you wouldn't want the you wouldn't have wanted the, the police to let the parents try to get in there and deal with the situation themselves. You know what I'm saying? So you can't be mad at the police for that. They were keeping the parents actually safe. It probably would have just been more parents dead if they would have let them try to climb through windows or whatever. What do y'all think about that? Because one of the comments was saying, you know, let the parents get in there. It's a shame that they didn't let the parents get in there. But, you know, no, you don't I don't want think that was a good idea. But I mean, that's why, like, it's, it's, it's like the police officers are the, the, the people who should go in and secure the place because, you know, like, I mean, to me, like, there's a way, like, Let's say you don't know how many shooters is in there. Okay, yeah, you still need to go in and, and secure whatever places that you can and say, okay, you know, you can localize this issue where that, you know, you know, you can at least make some plans based on. Uh, yeah, that's yeah. common sense. But is I don't you, know. You it. always secure the parameter. That's the first thing you do on any scene. 
Because, I mean, having random parents just going in is going to make it more chaotic. You know what I'm saying? And, you know, a higher uh, chance of more people getting killed. Yeah, so you don't want the parents to, to get killed. So you're protecting them by not letting them run in there. I want to lighten it up a bit. I'm going to come back to the topic because I got the Al Jazeera. But I want to do an in-between segment right here. What do y'all think about this? Oh, damn! Wow. Huh. Damn, I ran and he yeah. know I'm cheating on him. <laughs> no, what the fuck? <laughs> oh, damn! Wow. Huh. Damn, I ran and he yeah. know I'm cheating on him. So she said, my man paying my rent and he knows I'm cheating on him. So and one of the things proud, and, and, and she's proud of that. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly what I was about to say. That, that That's what bothers me about the society is how we're so um, we're so comfortable displaying like the ratchet, ignorant, stupid stuff, and like it's like it's like society makes fun of you for being smart, but it's totally acceptable to be totally completely ratchet, like it's cool and shit, like the thing to do. Yeah, yeah, I, I don't, I don't really get it. I mean, I think it's. You know, yeah, it might be foolish on a guy for being that type of person. Um, go and give you resources, somebody who actually deserves it, that uh, respects you and you know loves you and will you know like that's that's you know I when I see stuff like that and that's guys that don't stand up for themselves. I mean, they probably getting what they deserve, but at the same time, if you it ain't gonna last. Guy, at some point, the guy. And this is what it is. So this is a destructive ass lifestyle. You know, they they sell to the to the young boys to be either a rapper or a basketball player, football player, or basically, you know, a drug dealer, gangster. And they promote the ratchet way of life. And it's not sustainable. Mm-mm. Really, all of those I mentioned aren't really sustainable because not everybody is going to make it to the NBA. How many players do they have on each basketball team? Get the fuck out of here, bro. Everybody's kid is not going to the NBA, bro. It's not going to happen. So, again, what I'm saying is not sustainable. So, the the girl who, you know, she's fucking over the dude and he's paying her rent. How long is that shit going to last? At some point, her ass going to have to get a job or be homeless. Because at some point, the guy's going to be like, fuck that. And she's going to be like, well, I'll, ju- I'll just find another dumbass. You know what I'm saying? Maybe sh- maybe she will. But in the long term, that's unsustainable. You know what I'm saying? Maybe it'll work all the way until you get a little older. Maybe your looks aren't as de- there as much as they were before. So maybe it doesn't work as well. You know what I mean? At some point, it's not going to work. It's not sustainable. Y'all get what I'm saying? Oh yeah, no. I mean, you, and on the relationship side, no, it's not. But um, 
But this is what get promoted. This is what's all down my timeline is, you know, little boys being ratchet and little girls being ratchet. And it's cool to fuck over your friends and loved ones and shit. And just to be totally like disrespectful and not caring about nothing. It's like, I'm winning. I'm winning. You know, that's what I wanted to get to, too, was like the title of the show is How May I Serve You? You know, because that's the way our society is. You know, we're all about ourselves, you know, and we, we're all about winning. So that's the reason why when someone says something like, how may I serve you? It make you feel uncomfortable because like I was, I was saying at the beginning of the video, how nice is it for you to come home and your wife is like, how may I serve you? Or even the other way around, the husband comes home for work or the wife comes home for work and the husband is like, how may I serve you? You know, how does it make you feel when you go from Chick-fil-A line and they say, how may I serve you? And then, you know, my whole idea is that God is a servant. The earth is a servant. The universe is a servant. To serve is a higher, you know, purpose. You get what I'm saying? So us as a society, if we looked at it that way, how may I serve you? The rest of my community, my friends and my neighbors, it's just like in the Bible, them saying, love thy neighbor. It's really the same thing. You know what I'm saying? How can I help? You know, that is where we need to focus on to fix the problems related to society. And that's how we lead to people who doing school shootings because they're looking at the world through a totally individual way and they can't see how the pain of others, other people's suffering causes them suffering. We all live in the same, it's like if you think of the earth as a house, we all live in the same house. You know what I mean? So if you, you know, if there's suffering in your house, you're going to be suffering as a result of that. It's going to affect you in one way or another. Y'all get what I'm saying? Yeah. But, um, I guess, um, I mean, when you're really looking at the, uh, effects of it all, like, let me, well, my damn, my thoughts kind of wonderful. I'm, I'm gonna I'll come back in it. Lost it. Um, yeah. I'm gonna get into the algebra here before I put y'all to sleep. <laughs> We're at two hours, and I'm not gonna stay on that long, anyways. I gotta work all day tomorrow. Um, let me see. Click. Yeah, I want to get into the Al Jazeera video. I, I definitely want to cover that one before we go. I think they did a really good job. Um, because they touched on the whole thing because, you know, the replacement theory, right? And that's what the, the other shooter was talking about. But let me play some of this and we're going to stop it as we go and talk about it the world a couple of billion less we could if we had fewer people in the world a couple of billion less we could probably solve a few of the world's problems right we could have an abundance of fed belly clean water we would have less crowded classrooms less carbon emissions destroying our earth's future fewer people in this world would mean that there would be enough resources to make sure that everyone is fed healthy, educated, and that our quality of life is so much better than it is today. Do y'all think that's true? 
No, I, I, I feel like the focus of, of um, you know, like if, if our, all the governments of, our, of the world had a focus on togetherness, uh, you know, I, you know, something that wasn't centered around greed. Like if if we actually shared all of the resources that the that God or the universe allows for all of us that that that, that the universe allowed to have this amount of people on this planet at one time, like if we were able to share fairly then you know we wouldn't have any issues but no there's uh you know we have trillionaires and billionaires that's you know trying to lock away all the resources that they can get for themselves and you know i guess the people close near them but no i mean i don't i don't think it's going to make any difference if they keep practicing the same thing whether there's you know a hundred thousand or a hundred million or even build you know however many billions if they keep practicing the same kind of uh, ideals and it's going to be be the same kind of problem exactly because it it could be only one thousand people and i'm willing to bet that you know (laughs) 20 of them is going to be controlling all the resources and (laughs) <laughs> all they the rest of try to make it seem like it's some kind of scarcity but it's, it's not there's an abundance of uh, resources to go around for everybody it's just that you know there's like you know like right now i mean charging six dollars five almost six dollars a gallon for some fuel that's coming out of the ground that doesn't cost them more than a dollar to process some of that a lot of that stuff was already processed people think that this stuff happens overnight this you know drilling tapping uh converting crude into gasoline this is a long ass fucking process a lot of that gas was sitting there before these prices went up and then they have and then they have pipelines they're moving this shit through pipelines so a lot of the shit don't even cost them that much to move it where the fuck are y'all getting these prices from? They they just talked about Shell. They had the biggest fucking income uh, profit margin in the first quarter of 2022 that they've had in like more than 10 years. Bro, it's, I would say probably in fucking 40 years. Like yeah, this is. I'm just like, saying that to be safe because I know I could say 10 years because I saw I was reading some shit about it, but it may be 40 years. Yeah. But, I mean, all this stuff is it's, 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 it's fake numbers. They're just charging more because they can. Um, they're using all of these, you know, like because for some people they're saying like they lost money during uh, the pandemic, which it was not a loss. It's just that they didn't bring in as much income like they, you know, as they maybe wanted to. But how fair is it for you to, all right, we didn't use all the fuel. Like, I can see, like, they was giving away fuel last year for free, 
and now they're trying to make up for it. No, you were making a profit from whatever fuel you sold last year, and because people were on lockdown and wasn't going places, and they didn't buy as much fuel as they were, um, you know, the previous year. I mean, now you're gonna, you know, send the the country into, you know, a frenzy of. I mean, pretty much people are deciding, all right, all right, I'm going to have to get exactly this amount of gas to get back and forth to work. So, but I, and, um, so I can, and I can still afford to buy, you know, a loaf of bread and some, some, some bologna to, you know, just make it through the, the week. I mean, because that's, that's how tight it is for some people. Let me play some more of this. I don't want this frame to be sitting here too long. That idea should sound familiar because it's everywhere. Headlines, TV, YouTube recommendations. The faster we improve health, the faster family size goes down. It's the idea. They make it worse by, they make it worse by putting him in a video. I'm telling you. But did you hear what he said? He said, the, I mean. The, the healthier you get the people, the, the, the less people. Like, it's so stupid. <laughs> that because so many people, especially in Asia, Latin America, and Africa, are having so many babies, our carbon footprint is increasing. And that just means more drowning coastal cities, never-ending fires, destroying wildlife, perpetual states of hurricane recovery, and increased mass migration. And so if the problem is framed as there just being too many people and not enough resources, then what's the solution if you can't create more resources or lessen the carbon footprint? It's fewer people, right? But is that true that the answer to the climate crisis and a lack of resources is that impoverished families, again, across Latin America, Asia and Africa, just need to have fewer kids, that women just need education and birth control and we're on our way to a sustainable planet. Or is the real story here about a monopoly on resources, about the scarcity it created for most of the world's population, about industry practices that are reliant on environmental exploitation? And have we instead been pushing forward a narrative that plays into age-old Euro-American ideas about eugenics, border policing, and which populations are deemed burdensome? Welcome to Backspace, where we tell you how the story is told in the headlines, and then we think about how we can tell it a little differently. I mean, most people know why the, the whole idea of the, you know, uh, bringing down population is even a conversation. And it's because the people who just so happen to be at the head of everything wants to stay in control of everything as long as they can. And it's easier for them to control less people than it is more. So, like, that's the real problem. Like, you know, the quote unquote white people, if you want to say that, that's in power now, wants to continue to keep the power that they have. And, and, and it's, you know, you, and I, I think you're right on point. And it's not even racial. It's not even racial from their point of view. Like you said, fewer people is easier to control, period. Yeah. Yeah. They don't care which color they are. No, I mean, because no, they, they want to get rid of white people, some white people too. Like they want to get rid of a bunch of people, period. 
They like they don't care. Like I mean, shoot, there's poor white people that they they hate to even see. So yeah, fewer people, easier to control. Um, so that's just that's the bottom line. That's the bottom line. But she's gonna get into all of the aspects of this whole argument. It's really great. Let me play some more. But not even related to popula population control. She was just, because see, we're gonna talk about eugenics. Anyways, let me let her do it. Like a lot of bad ideas, the basic premise of overpopulation and the solution to it come from an economist. In 1798's an essay on the principle of population, Thomas Malthus- It's the economy, stupid argued that the larger the population is, the greater the stress on resources and the greater the occurrence of poverty. And so the only way to avoid catastrophes such as famine, food scarcity, and ensuing strife would be to decrease the number of births. At face value, it seems logical and at this point very familiar. But it's an argument that has not only been more or less debunked, but relies on a premise we automatically believe is true because we've been told it is and that invariably leads to looking at where the fastest growth of population are happening and asking what can we do to slow this down researchers say there is a much better way to reduce our carbon footprint than driving hybrid cars using energy saving bulbs and recycling just have fewer children the skyrocketing world <laughs> population is apparently <laughs> affecting the environment the carbon footprint of extra children is 20 times higher than other environmentally friendly. Ain't that so mean? They got these cute little kids and they're talking about the carbon footprint of extra children. You had this cute, who had all these cute little kids? You're, you're destroying the freaking environment. You should be ashamed of yourself. Practices. Climate change, the pressure of a growing population, 7 billion on our increasingly fragile planet. We have planetary limitations. But headlines and news reports won't call cities like New York and Paris overpopulated and struggling with resource distribution as a result of that overpopulation. Nor will they focus on the carbon footprint of these cities or other American and European cities. Even accompanying images in reports or articles about the impact of so-called overpopulation will, more often than not, consist of images of Asian, African, and Latin American populations. So the, the term overpopulation, whenever I hear it, I always want to ask, so, you know, who in particular do you have in mind? Like, what kinds of people do you think shouldn't be here? <laughs> that's, that's the heart of the matter right there, isn't it? <laughs> that's one, yeah. <laughs> That's one way, one direct way to look at it. <laughs> and why is it you feel that way? And this is where the far right and liberals end up meeting on climate issues because of how we've chosen to understand and tell the story of the human-made climate emergency. For the far right, it's about protecting resources from those others. Across Europe, far-right parties, which have been gaining political ground over the last decade, have revived what has been an old tradition on that end of the spectrum, ecofascism. I think the only thing scarier than uh, a far-right racist movement that denies the reality of climate change is a far-right racist movement that doesn't deny the reality of climate change, that actually says this is happening. Both the Christchurch and El Paso white nationalist mass murderers wrote manifestos that decried the so-called impact of overpopulation, specifically the overpopulation of immigrants, on the environment and on resources. 
The El Paso shooter wrote about how he wanted to stop the Hispanic invasion of Texas and that fewer people would mean that the American way of life would be more sustainable. He killed 23 people in a Walmart in 2019, injuring more than two dozen others. The Christchurch shooter identified himself as an eco-fascist and wrote in his manifesto that immigration was in fact environmental warfare. He killed 51 Muslim worshippers at two mosques in 2019, injuring over 40. And while eco-fascism may seem very modern, it's actually rooted in something very classically American. The roots of eco-fascism are traced back to America's progressive era, a period between 1896 and 1920 where social movements advocating for the betterment of society gained successful momentum and were led by upper and middle class white Christian men and women. Freaking progressive era, quotation marks. I hate the way they segmentize history. And it's one of the ways how they rewrite history, the progressive era. Wasn't 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 black people, Mexicans, and uh, Italians getting lynched at this time? What year is that? They said what they say, eighteen nineties to nineteen twenties or some shit. Late eighteen hundreds, oh, yeah. early nineteen hundreds. Oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> How progressive were they, really? Let me play some more. So there was I mean, already this idea lynched, going all the way back before today. With guns, but I mean, it, I mean, they still consider, you know, some people to be very progressive right now, and that and that's the connection that she's kind of making because she's gonna throw those progressives, the left, under the bus here in a second. For the betterment of society, gained successful momentum and were led by upper and middle class white Christian men and women. So there was already this idea going all the way back before the First World War. Um, that the only way that white people in the world could survive was if they found some way of containing and eventually controlling the growth of populations in, in non-white places. In 1916, American lawyer and conservationist Madison Grant published one of the most influential books of the last 100 years, The Passing of the Great Race or the Racial Basis of European History. Many of the ideas in Nazi Germany's racial science that rationalized the Holocaust were actually inspired by these American eugenicists, Hitler called Grant's book his Bible. And Hitler's Bible informed the foundation of environmentalism in this country itself. Grant argued that the so-called Nordic race was under threat from certain world populations and that in order to protect the earth, its resources, and the environment, we needed to eliminate the migration and even the existence of certain populations. And central to Grant's solution was eugenics. Eugenics ascribes societal value to a person's race and class. Those who aren't seen as valuable are considered leeches on resources, and thus, under this outlook, they deserve to be lessened in numbers. Useless to be called, eaters, as they call it, eliminated. Grant wasn't. She's so soft on the way she's so politically like the way she's talking about this. She's giving the information very well and and using. I need to pay attention to how she's using her words because she's dodging the YouTube algorithm like a motherfucker with it. <laughs> it's, it's genius. A lone pioneer in the realm of eugenics and conservation. He had the company of many, including President Theodore Roosevelt. In their view, it was the white affluent man's duty to preserve nature, not to save it from destruction, but to guarantee their continued ability to exploit and interact with it as they pleased. 
It was under men like that, men like Grant Roosevelt, John Muir, Gifford Pinchot, Henry Fairfield Osborne, and others, that American conservation was possible. These guys were fundamental to the establishment of national zoos and parks and to the protection of endangered species. And these were the same people who went on to create and lead environmental clubs and organizations like the Sierra Club, the New York Zoological Society, and the U.S. Forest Service. And of course, these eugenicist ideas didn't start or end with the conservationists. They proliferated across movements led by white Christian Americans in the late 19th and early 20th. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Hold on, hold on, hold on. I watched this video earlier, but something that concept she just brushed over it. She's going so fast, but something she just said made me think about something because she's talking about how there's a connection between eugenics programs, the same people that did the park services and the and all of that stuff. So that's really interesting because you look at a lot of the history, a lot of the big parks used to be black neighborhoods or, 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 or you know, Native American or Aboriginal areas, right? True or not? N Central Park in New York historically was, was that. And, yeah. and they moved those people out of there and made it into a park. And, and in so many other places, there's a story of a lake. I, want, I don't know what state it is, but they made it. It's a man-made lake. And it used to be a black neighborhood. Those areas of like Yellowstone wasn't all a Yellowstone uh, Indian country. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, I could keep going down the list. Well, yeah, and there's a lot of historical things that's left behind there that they don't want any and everybody to be able to see. They blocked it off and keep people from being able to tour it in full. So that they can, you know, because I mean, it's also like it's hiding history as well as, uh, you know, keeping people that, you know, I guess uh, after they have extinguished certain people from certain areas to keep others from being able to go there again. Damn, man, it's so interesting. This thought is blowing my mind because I never really thought about this because. I always felt like the park services and stuff was was a cool thing. You know, I love nature. And I love, yeah. like, in Houston, the way they've done the bios and they've been building up around the bios and stuff. I really like it. It's so beautiful. And some of the areas around the freeways now, they're building around the freeways and kind of beautifying the... And they're, 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 they weren't doing this before. It used to be just grass on the side of the freeways, but now they're they're planting flowers and different kinds. I wish they would plant freaking fruit bearing and nuts bearing trees and bushes in there. I don't know why they don't do that. But even though they're just planting these damn useful, you know, useless as they're not useless, but because they're providing um, uh, habitat Oxygen. and all that kind of stuff. But yeah. and it's and it's pretty. It's much better than the grass. The grass is just fucking like nothing, bro. So, but anyways, um, I like that. And I always looked at the park services, what, like Texas, not the Texas Rangers, but the Texas, what do you call it? They're like the ones Wildlife who, and fishery. Yeah, them shits. I always looked at that as really, because in Texas, even though we're known to be like uh, anti-environment in a lot of ways related to how, you know, digging for oil and stuff like that. And um, also the way we fucking pollute, because we just dump shit any fucking where. But in Texas, we have a lot of those parks 
those uh whatever you call them the the right term for it and they're all over the place and they're they're beautiful they're beautiful and they spend a lot of money on that shit so um like i said i always looked at it as a good thing but leave it to the united states to make a beautiful thing sinister or do it for sinister reasons do they, they so they, they're doing a beautiful thing for sinister reasons yeah i guess let me play some more. Grant Roosevelt, John Muir, Gifford Pinchot, Henry Fairfield Osborne, and others Mustaches. that American conservation was possible. These guys were fundamental to the establishment of national zoos and parks and to the protection of endangered species. And these were the same people who went on to create and lead environmental clubs and organizations like the Sierra Club, the New York Zoological Society, and the U.S. Forest Service. And of course, these eugenicist ideas didn't start or end with the conservationists. They proliferated across movements led by white Christian Americans in the late 19th and early 20th centuries. From birth Yeah, man, I'm still thinking about that idea. It's like, it's like they're preserving these beautiful areas for the white man. Control for, to for, temperance for both feminist yeah. movements which advocated better breeding to lessen the strain on resources on poor families and to help develop better children who would become better citizens. Margaret Sanger, the founder of the American Birth Control League, the precursor to Planned Parenthood, was a believer in eugenics and her activism on birth control centered on, quote, weeding out the unfit and preventing the birth of defectives. And these ideas, especially as outlined by Madison Grant, had an impact on American governance and the shaping of the future of this country. Theodore Roosevelt's progressive presidency was influenced greatly by Grant's ideas about conservation and the decline of the Nordic race, which Roosevelt blamed on white mothers having fewer babies, threatening a so-called race suicide. Grant's book also informed one of the first most expansive immigration bills in this country's history. The 1924 Johnson-Reed Act, which included the National Origins Act and the Asian Exclusion Act. It was signed into federal law by President Calvin Coolidge. In the period of the late 19th, early 20th century, the main way in which people in relatively rich and powerful countries wanted to regulate the population of the world was by making it harder for poorer people to migrate and move around the world. By the 1920s and 30s, increasingly, they were trying to shape the way in which uh, people chose to have children and in some cases actually prevent people from having children. And so this was a period of the 20s and 30s especially um, where you saw this idea of eugenics, where it wasn't just about the numbers. You had to manipulate not just the quantity of people, but also the quality, right? And so that meant, you know, especially targeting people that were deemed to be unfit. Even in the 1930s and increasingly in the period of the 40s and 50s, there was the idea that as contraceptives improved and as it became Boom. possible to distribute them around the world, it might be possible to directly intervene in the population growth in poor countries. Because some of the people we're talking about thought that there were whole countries that were relatively unfit. And the only solution was to reduce their growth rates relative to the rest of the world. So the American well, listen, well, public on. was primed by these movements Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. That they 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 chopping him up because he's the one that's bitten the fire. But go ahead. Well, I, the reason why, because I'm I'm throwing, I want to throw this in here is because if you really think about it, like out of all of the the world, America has the most obese people, and there's a reason because like the the way that they uh, 
you know, do food, you know, the way they handle food, because, I, I, you know, more recently than than the past, uh, you know, they have the more preservatives. Because, I mean, you know, a lot of us were really living on more farms where we were, you know, generating our own food, like the same kinds of food, even like eating some of the worst food, like pork and this, that. And that's what I was saying. My grandpa, grandpa ate big ass fat slabs of bacon and uh, they used lard and real butter and they ate like that every day. And, and they lived, lived to be long, 90, 90 something years old. Yeah. So, I mean, just the health, the, the, the idea of what they consider health is totally off mark. And, you know, they're pretty much promoting uh, death with uh, the food that they uh, provide or allow. And look at our generation. They're dying like a mug, bro. It's really scary for us. You know, our, in our age bracket too. You know, um, a lot there. You know, I don't really want to talk about that. that's really fucking scary because our grandparents lived a long time, but our generation is dying, bro. Well, that's why we got to get back to what our our ancestors were doing. Like that's the thing. Like I mean, following the trends of you know current or you know modern American, tra- you know habits is not gonna give get us to being here for another 100 500 and everybody wants to jump on the train and jump on the newest latest thing and i'm always against it fuck that shit i was i saw a story where they was talking about the styrofoam and how bad it is for us and the environment and it's like they're doing it on purpose but anyways let me get back to this yeah and to believe in overpopulation By the time it engulfed imaginations, headlines, and international organizations in 1968, when another book decrying the looming and inevitable apocalyptic catastrophes of overpopulation dropped. The Population Bomb by conservation biologist Paul Ehrlich. What would happen if we had a birth control miracle, a a contraceptive, a population control miracle in the next 30 years? And all the people in the underdeveloped countries started reproducing just at replacement level. Virtually everything Ehrlich argues in the book was proven false, from 65 million Americans starving by the year 2000 to massive international famines killing millions more. None of it happened. But the book sold... But that's what sucks about... Because it was a fear tactic. And that's what sucks about this shit, how it works every time. And then people forget about it. They, they, you know, they don't forget about what they said. They forget about like they don't point out that the dude was wrong. You know what I'm saying? But whatever other concepts, they still keep citing and quoting. And a lot of our science and even our history is based on this kind of stuff. It's so fucking frustrating that you could keep citing a, a, a debunked source. And, and 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 it's like that with the news cycles. Because the news cycles, the media don't never come back and retract their fucking story and be like, oh, our bad, we was wrong about this. If they do do that, it's going to be buried at the end of their show real quick or at the bottom of the article. And the people are not going to see that shit. Well, that's one of the things that like one of my biggest things is like, you know, the whole Darwinism, uh, you know, uh, out of Africa theory the evolution uh, theories, like all these things that has been debunked, like nobody really like try to clear it up and change textbooks and things that 
that has taught people for, you know, the last couple of generations that idea to get it straight to say, hey, we were wrong. This is more this is this is more likely of what happened than what we told you back then. Remember, we want you to be an activist and don't take our word for it. Look that shit up. Please.